going to be tonight, Mark chapter 2 and chapter 3. And we're going to talk a little bit. Um, and, you know, we're in this thing this year about the beginning of a movement, uh, the beginning of the Christian movement. And, you know, the, this, in the fall, we're looking a lot at, just at Jesus and things he taught, things he did, the encounters we had. And when you come to uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and what do you realize is that there, you have people who were following Jesus, who were crazy about Jesus, who loved Jesus. Those are the crowds, the masses, the common everyday people. And, and, and some of the priests and some of the religious leaders, there are a few that do that as well. But you have just this, these groups of people who are constantly in conflict with Christ, and those are the religious leaders. I just spent the last month on Sunday morning talking and preaching about uh, the religious system that was in place and, and, and how that was kind of in conflict with Christ. And probably with the largest party, the largest group of religious leaders were the Pharisees in com- combination with the scribes. Those groups of people really looked at not just the Old Testament law of Moses, those Ten Commandments, but they looked at their oral tradition, their laws, their rules, the things they had. And they expected that the people would keep and follow all of the various rules they had put in place. What they did is they would take each of the commandments, and from that, they would expand upon them. And then they would take that expansion and expand even more. And I'm going to show you that a little bit in just a moment. And, and the thing to realize is that what they did, as I've already said, is they created a system. When Christ came, his conflict was not with the people. It certainly wasn't with the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, we call the scriptures and God. It was with the religious system. And there is no better source or there is no better illustration of the conflict than what probably was the biggest conflict of all. And that is the conflict which Jesus had with the Pharisees and scribes over the Sabbath. The Ten Commandments are found in the Deuteronomy chapter 5 and Exodus chapter 20. The fourth commandment is the longest commandment. And it says, remember the Sabbath, that special day, keep it holy, the holy is to be set apart. And it talks about the fact that you need a day of rest. God worked six days and rested on the seventh. We're to take a, six days, we rest on the seventh. That day of rest is not just not to work, that's part of it, but it is to rest in the Lord. So you cease working and you rest in the Lord. That is the key thing. The Pharisees took that one commandment and they made 39 prohibitions. And each of those prohibitions had dozens and dozens of explanations and examples. So up on the screen, I'm going to put, show you those 39 prohibitions. You do not try to write all that down. It isn't going to be up long enough. I'm not going to go over all of that. But take, for instance, sowing, plowing, reaping. That would make sense. Don't, don't, don't plant anything. All right? That's work. Don't dig up your field. Don't plant seed. Don't harvest. Well, that would make sense. Now, if you do have a smartphone, you, if you want to know them, take a picture of it. See, some of you, if you want to try to write, try to write down, take your smartphone device, take a picture. That's what young people do. You're out of So There's like three of you. I don't know what the young people already did it. So, but, but think about this way. So what they would do is then they would say, okay, what, what about sowing? What about plowing? So here's the thing. If you had a chair, <laughs> one old guy out here, Tony, sorry, you're not that old. Well, you're older than me. So anyway, so <laughs> it's funny seeing somebody take your camera out. Oh, that's a pretty good idea. Let me try that. You know. Focus. Got it? You got it? Got it? Okay. 
So they would, I'm sorry, I shouldn't pick on you because y'all give a pretty good amount of money. But they would say, like plowing, if you wouldn't take your chair and you're sitting on a dirt floor, you couldn't scoot your chair because the, the, the foot of the chair might dig a furrow. It might, it might dig a hole in the dirt. That would be considered plowing. Uh, for instance, it says you're not supposed to select. In other words, you're not supposed to, like in part of harvesting, you might take the good out. You, have to have a, you might harvest something. There's good grain. There's good grain and bad grain. Take the bad grain out. You're selecting. So if you had like a bowl of berries and, uh, or whatever, and some of them were bad, you couldn't take the bad out to eat the good because that would be selecting. However, what you could do is you could just eat the good ones, and then when you were through, the bad would be left and put them aside. Does that make sense? Okay. So you're getting, so they're, they're 39, and they made hundreds of explanations about all this. For instance, healing is considered, the one for grinding was the idea of taking, if you were to take uh, wheat or something, you would grind it together. Well, most medicines they had back then, they didn't, you know, they, they didn't have what we had. They didn't have Tylenol. Uh, they didn't have uh, Valium, in case some of y'all were wondering. They didn't have those type of things. So what they would do is they'd have homemade medicines. So what you couldn't do is take homemade, you couldn't take the things you needed to make that, the, the herbs and, and the spices. Some of y'all do this now, the whole, you know, medicine. You couldn't do that and put it together and give it to somebody. So you couldn't, you couldn't heal anybody because you might take the one about grinding. Um, it got so that you couldn't help anybody, period, if they were hurt. You couldn't heal anybody. You couldn't help anybody. If, if you were eating, you know, have, you know, have you ever eaten and got a little something on your shirt and you, know, you want to clean it? You can't do that because then you would be washing, you know, which is up there somewhere. In the, in other words, you couldn't do anything. The exception would be if someone's life was in danger. But even then, the Pharisees and scribes had lengthy discussions about what it meant to have your life in danger. So do you get the, you get the idea of all this? You understand how unbelievably complicated this is. That's why in, the, in, in Matthew 5, when on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, I didn't come to do away with the law and the prophets, what's in the, the scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. I fulfilled it. But this wasn't there. This is why he said, you have to have a righteousness that is surpassing or completely different than the Pharisees. Because this was their righteousness. Trying to keep all of this. You see where it says, kindling a fire? You couldn't strike a match to light a candle. Because it would kindle a fire. So at night when it was dark, you had to already have your candles lit. Or you can light. So you see how crazy this is. This is the world that Jesus came into. Okay, you can take that down. <laughs> All right, so here, we're in the second chapter of Mark. Let me clean the glasses, got dirty. Verse 23. All right. <clears throat> and it happened that he was, oh, by the way, what you're going to see in, in Mark 2.23 through 3.7 or 3.6 is found also in Matthew 12 and Luke 6, just so you'll know that. If you want to cross-reference that sometime. And it happened that he was passing through the grain fields. This is Jesus on the Sabbath. And his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. So they were walking through a wheat field. Some of it says corn, but it was wheat or barley. 
and they were, they were picking the heads off, and they'd rub it together and eat it. That was acceptable. In fact, uh, Deuteronomy 23 talks about you could do that. You could walk through a man's field. If you were hungry, you could pluck the heads of grain. That was acceptable. However, it was the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, who were evidently following along, and there's a lot of backstory to this I'm not going into, said, look, came to Jesus. Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So it was against the rules, against the law to do that. That's not found in the scriptures. This was their law. Because if you, if you took a, a, a kernel of wheat or took some of the wheat, you were, you were reaping. If you rubbed it together, okay, and if you did that, you were separating. And then if you blew away the chafe, you were winnowing. You broke three laws right there. You hadn't even eaten the stuff yet. Do so you understand how absurd this is? So Jesus tells this story, this critical story, going back to 1 Samuel chapter 21, and the story of David and the priest of Nob. He says, you never read what David did when he was in need, and he was in the companions became hungry. And if you go back to 1 Samuel 21, David is fleeing from Saul, and he's got some of his guys with him, and he goes to the area of the tabernacle. And in the tabernacle, they had what was called showbread. And that bread was given over, it was for sacrifice and all that, but it was for the priest could eat it. Or if you were in some sort of sacred duty. And when he got there and he was hungry and his guys were hungry and he asked for some of that bread, that's all they had. The, the, the priest says, you can't, ha- you can't really have it. He says, when I'm on a special assignment for Saul. Now, <laughs> the fact that David wasn't telling the truth is not the fault of the priest. That's just not the issue. Okay? So you've got to look past that. By the way, sometimes, let me just say this. You know what the prohibition against lying is? Do not do what? Bear false witness against your neighbor. We sometimes forget, and we sometimes look at that. And, and, we, and I'm about to say it's going to get me in trouble. Just hang on with me, okay? Just bear with me. We sometimes look at that and says that's, that says you can't lie. It doesn't say you can't lie. That says you don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't lie about your neighbor. Because sometimes what we've got to realize is if you've ever had children, sometimes lying is a part of being a parent, is it not? I mean, you just something to spell on this. Every parent and every grandparent lies. My goodness, I know your grandparents are all over the place. You lie to your kids about what you do with your grandkids. So you just need to understand that sometimes you've got to take these. So what I'm saying is David kind of told a lie. And I know people that get all bent out of shape over the lie. I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. Saul's trying to kill him. He's hungry. So, so he fibbed a little bit. Think of all the sins of David. Where do you want to rank that one? Because I'm thinking it ranks low. All right? I'm not, no, I'm not saying it's okay to lie. Don't say I said that because I didn't say that exactly. So here's the thing. What did David say? He said, I'm on a special assignment. I'm, par- I'm roughly paraphrasing. Because if you were on a service to the Lord and being on service to the king who's being on service to the Lord, you could do the showbread. So they gave him the bread. So notice what Jesus says. He entered the house of God. In the time of Abiathar the high priest, and he ate the consecrated bread. It's not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest, and he gave him to those who were with him. So David did this. If they know the story, you know why. So here was an exception to that rule. Okay? So Jesus said to them this important thing. So he's using David as an example of understanding that the rules that they made up. Okay? David did this. He's using the Pharisees. Know your own scripture. He said, the Sabbath was not made for man, 
and assume the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Now, in the eating of the bread, the purpose of bread is to nourish us. And David needed nourishing. That was the, that was the overarching, overriding need was for nourishment. So he's saying to them, when you come to the Sabbath, reread the Sabbath. Why is the Sabbath there? It's for our benefit. Don't work seven days. Take one day and worship God. Let me ask you this. This is an important question because sometimes people get this wrong. In our worship of God, for whose benefit is that? Is it for God's benefit? Better not be because then you've got a problem with God. I know people say that and they're not thinking it through clearly. We worship God for our benefit. To honor and glorify him and be in relationship with him. I've heard people say, I've heard pastors say this, I've heard music people say this. You know, we come to God because God craves and needs our worship. A holy God needs nothing. And your doctrinal understanding of God better mean that he doesn't need us to worship him. We need to worship God. God, understand that. If you think, if if I need to help you with that, come talk to me, I'll work you through it. This is not even open for debate. This is not one of those things, well, you know, you have your interpretation, I have mine. If you think God needs worship, your interpretation is completely, totally, and fundamentally wrong. We need to worship God. This is what Jesus is saying. The Sabbath, the Sabbath was not made for we were, you know, the Sabbath, I mean, we were not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is for us to worship God. So he says the Sabbath was for man, not man for the Sabbath. And they had taken all those 39 law, prohibitions and the hundreds of rules go with it. And made it out to be that man was for the Sabbath. So here's what he said. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The title Son of Man is probably most likely taken from Daniel in reference to the coming Messiah. It was a common way for Jesus to refer to himself for two reasons. One, it identified himself with humans. But also, it was an understanding of his messianic role. It signaled his divinity. He is Lord, and Lord should be kept. He is God. He is in charge of the Sabbath. You understand what kind of statement that means, right? Jesus is based, if Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, he's saying he's God. You know how many places we read in Scripture that basically Jesus said, I'm God? I'm, I'm him? He who has seen me has seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Only God can heal a man who is crippled. He did it. So understand this, that he is saying, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. So what he's telling these guys is, you don't understand the Sabbath, I do. And he is rejecting all of this, which brings them to the conflict, which brings us then into chapter 3. This is very important. There are other examples like this. I mentioned one Sunday in John chapter 9. Here it is. Probably a week or two later, probably not the same day. You get that from Matthew and Luke's account. He entered again into a synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. Now, we know some speculate that the the religious leaders brought that man there. So they, that is the religious leaders, were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. Because that's it. You You can't do that on the Sabbath. I just told you when I had those laws. You can't heal on the Sabbath. Didn't break any of the commands of God. It broke the commands of the religious leaders. So they had this man. Probably the idea is that they're setting Jesus up. 
They had this man there who's got a withered hand. The, the idea means that his hand was diseased or it was injured somehow and he couldn't use it. So this, the hand was gone. It, it, was, it wasn't useful. Um, in high school, I had a, a coach, my position coach, my offensive line coach. His hand was all messed up. He, he got shot with a shotgun. And so it was all curled up and, and he couldn't use it. And one day, Debbie and I are walking down the hall together. And I'm holding her hand. And my coach is behind me, and he just came up, and he just draped that withered hand right over her shoulder, right where it was next to her, and she went, ah, you know, like that. He thought that was funny. I said, honey, don't ever laugh or scream at my position, coach. It's not good. So he said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. Can you imagine being the object lesson in front of a whole synagogue of people? That's the guy, all right, come up here. And so he said to these guys, is it lawful? It's all about the law. Is it lawful to do good or do harm on the Sabbath, to save their life or to kill? And this then is the question. We talk all the time that Jesus always turns the table on all these Pharisees and Sadducees. Here he's doing that. So they had it within their law that if a man's life was in danger, you could save them. So, I mean, you know, if a person you know, was bleeding to death, obviously you could wrap it up and do that. Uh, you know, if, if something was wrong and you had a chance to save a guy, you had to save him. Because they believed that to, if you could save someone and you didn't save one, that was, that was the equivalent of, of killing them. So that obviously overruled any Sabbath laws. But, they actually, but like I said, they discussed all the time, what does that mean? How do you determine that? So he's asking this question. So this, this is a, we don't understand this in our culture. This is a formal type of debate question. I mean, in other words, this was a standard type of questioning in, in the pharisaical and scribal circles. They would ask these types of questions, and they had discussions. So Jesus is actually entering into their world. He's meeting them on their territory. So what is it lawful to do? To heal, to save, or to kill, and let someone go away injured? So it's a good question. Do you do good? Because if you can do good and don't, then it's harm. Do you kill? Because if you can, I mean, do you save? Because if you can, still in thonis to kill. He's asking them a tough question. Because he has the power. And, and notice, the Pharisees aren't questioning whether he has the power to do this. Think about it. They know he has this power. You would think that would be like a major sign to them that this guy might be the Messiah. He, he might be the one. Because he can heal people. Later on, he raises people from the dead, and they still don't do it. I was reading uh, later on in Mark. I mean, a few chapters in Mark. I was reading today. He healed one person long distance. I mean, there was a guy who said, my daughter's sick. Can you come before he could get there? Something happened. And they said, don't worry about it. She's dead. Tell the master not to come. And he said, no, go ahead. She's fine. He, never even sh- he healed someone and didn't even show up. I mean, Lazarus at least got Jesus there. He even said, Lazarus, come forth. I mean, he spoke. I mean, the, the, the widow of Nain, her son was laying there in, in kind of the you know, hearse there. At least he was like banging on the side of the hearse saying, come on out. He just said, I don't worry, she's back to life. I mean, this is an amazing guy. They know what he can do. <laughs> and they don't care. They're worried about their loss. They kept silent, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of heart. He was angry. You know, it's okay sometimes to get angry over the right things. 
Now, our problem is that we get angry for selfish reasons. People upset us. They do something to us to make us angry. You know, they, they cut us off, you know, in, in driving. You know, they, they, you know, they throw trash in our yard. You have that happen. I hate when they do that in my yard. And, uh, you know, they do stuff. They, they insult us. We're, we're, we're trying, you know, we got our kids with us, and they use some profanity, and we get all ticked at them and angry with them. And we, you know, and we, anger is, is so selfish with us. But there are things about which we should get angry as long as it's not directed personally to, you know what I'm saying, to harm someone or whatever. In other words, the proliferation of abortion in America should anger us. It just should. It should. I get angry over that. Now, I get angry over things I shouldn't, so it's not like my anger is righteous or something. It's just in this one case, it's okay. There, there, it, people, you know, the idea that there's human trafficking in our country should anger us. The fact that I'll be honest with you. The fact that, you know, I'm not being political. I'm not, I don't care what political party. I don't give a rip. The fact that our authorities, our government, doesn't do anything about human trafficking should anger you. There are certain things that should anger us because we understand that. And so, it's, you know, and I understand people get angry at their things, but there are certain things. That if, you, if you see somebody, if you're in a parking lot and you see somebody harming someone, that should anger you. That doesn't mean that you, that you sin, because Scripture says in your anger do not sin. But there are times that anger is okay. If only we're angry like Jesus. <laughs> he was angry at these guys. One time Jesus got angry. You know what he did to some religious leaders? He took a whip and beat them. I, I don't know how to explain that away. When people say, oh, Jesus, he never did anything. He was never angry. He was just loving. I don't know about you, but I don't know how loving it is to take a whip and beat people with it. Now, he was loving because of the reason. He was loving the Gentiles who were not allowed to come and worship in the temple area because the money changers had set up shop. He was loving the people who were coming to make sacrifices and were getting ripped off by the money lenders and the, and the religious leaders. He loved them. And I guess he loved the money lenders in God's way. You know, I'm going to love someone like Jesus loves them. All right, take a whip, beat them. You know? <laughs> Understand, there were times Jesus got angry. He didn't sin. I have no idea how beating someone with the whip isn't sinning. But he didn't sin. All right? Don't you try that at home. It ain't going to work. Why was he angry? It tells you their hearts were hard. These are the religious leaders. They had no compassion. Do you understand? Their answer to Jesus was to be silent. What were they going to say? Oh, no. It's okay to do harm on the Sabbath. Well, they couldn't. Their own law prohibited that. Oh, no, no. You should do good on the Sabbath. If you can do good on the Sabbath, then they didn't have a beef with Jesus healing that man. They couldn't say, it's okay to be good on the Sabbath, but don't heal him. They couldn't do that. And they couldn't say, no, you got to do harm on this. But they, they were in an unbelievably difficult position. So their solution was silence. Why? Because their hearts were hard. Because here's the thing. They loved the law more than they loved the people. They loved their religious system. And this is what put Christ in conflict. So what did Jesus do? Oh, it was great. <laughs> he said, stretch out your hand. And he looked at those guys. I can just see them. Stretch out your hand. 
He probably took that hand and he just looked at those Pharisees. He just looked at them. Watch this. He just said, heal the guy. He went nothing fancy. He didn't have to spit on his hand like he did the eye. He just, it just says, he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Just stretch your hand out. It doesn't even, in Mark's account, it doesn't even say if he touched him or not. Stretch it out, stretch it out. And he just looked at him. And he healed it. Then look what happens next. And the Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him so they might destroy him. They so hated Jesus. Now the Herodians, this is an interesting thing. The Herodians were a group of Jewish people that normally were in conflict with the Pharisees. The Herodians wanted to return to the time Early in Jesus' life, when Herod the Great was, they wanted to return to when the Herods were kind of in charge of the area. And not, all, not people like Pilate and all these other guys. And, and there's different areas and locales. So they're, at this point, they're in an area up where Herod Antipas is in charge. And that's one of the sons of Herod the Great. And things were divided up and all that doesn't matter. Now, Herod was not a true Jew. He was a counterfeit. He was an Edomian. He was, he was from uh, just the area of Edom. But he had been politically put in charge. And, and they wanted to see the Herods back in charge. Now, somewhere around this time, you know, John the Baptist gets put in jail by Herod Antipas. Uh, and he's killed. And this guy is probably in charge of the area where they're at right now. And so they're conspiring with these guys. How do we get Herod to come after Jesus? They, they want to kill Jesus. Why? Because they love their system more than they love people. Can you begin to understand why people would just follow Jesus all the time? It wasn't just because he healed them. It was because their alternative was so unloving. It lacked compassion. It lacked mercy. There was no mercy or compassion anywhere in the Jewish system. Now, you could go to the rabbis and individually they would have it, yes. And you could go to some of the priests, and some of the priests were great guys, and they would have compassion and tenderness, and yes. But the system itself didn't have any of that to offer. And Jesus did. And so it's over the Sabbath that the religious leaders and Jesus clash. So if you will understand that their hatred towards Jesus was over his refusal to keep all of their religious system. And the fact that he, subs- he considered himself God and, and basically trashed their system. I mean, he did. Then you begin to understand why all this conflict exists. And as you read Matthew and Mark and Luke and John's accounts of the life of Jesus you can begin to understand why was all this conflict there. Because he rejected all the rules and regulations and laws they made up. Because he knew it was not at all helping the people. It was a cold, heartless, compassionless system that kept people in their sin and away from God. And when you understand that, and you go to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and you begin to read what he says... And how he attacks the religious leaders in that message. Then you can begin to understand what was going on. And in that process, 
what he offered the people was something they had never experienced. Compassion, mercy, love. So when they come to Jesus and they ask him the greatest commandment, he says, love God, love other people. All of the law and the prophets rest on this. If you were to go through the next week or two and read Mark, and you keep that in mind, you would begin to see conflict after conflict, challenge after challenge. You would begin to understand. It wasn't just over the Sabbath. It was over all the law. But it primarily focused on the Sabbath. So, y'all have any questions that you'd like to ask or comments about this or something else that I can help you with in the time? Yes. Yeah. The religious leaders were there in the temple. How was it that they could walk along and not be guilty of violating their own rules? Yeah. Well, there were certain things you could do. Now, some of his conflict was not about the Sabbath. The things, the things about the Sabbath, uh, you asked, there were certain exceptions to what they were doing. They, they always had exceptions to just about everything. And in those exceptions, it allowed them... Uh, to basically, in other words, like he was traveling on the Sabbath and he walked down and took a grain head. Well, there was a reason he was traveling on the Sabbath. There, was, there would have been some sort of necessity for him to travel. So on that particular case, and they would, they would have gone along with it, there would have been some, so there were always some exceptions. Uh, and, and, you know, and I'm not an expert in all that, but so they, they always had loopholes for some of the things that need to be done. That's kind of like the thing about you couldn't, you could take, the good berries and eat them and throw the bad away, but you couldn't take the bad berries out. There's loopholes. They were the experts in their loopholes. So that's what you basically had in that. Yes, ma'am. All the elevators stop at every floor, so yeah. they don't have to push the button. Yeah. So in Israel, all the elevators stop at every floor. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of things they do today that are very similar. In fact, if you go online and do some research... They give a lot of very common, everyday examples of things, like the berry illustration actually is from a common time, not so much back then. Uh, but they'll talk a lot about things you can't do, um, and, and it comes from modern times. So there's still a lot of that today, a lot of examples you might see. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, so they, they, when they approached the people, this is what they said. He was breaking the law. So that was what, but here's the thing. The people didn't care because Jesus, so when you're just an average everyday person, and you have this guy over here who's rich and powerful and self-righteous, and he has made your life difficult, and you have Jesus who heals, you know, the guy that you see down the street, your neighbor's hand, and he feeds you, and he shows compassion, and they're saying he's breaking the law, who are you going to side with? They're still siding with Jesus. That's why, like I preached, was it Sunday I preached, or two Sundays ago? Uh, I can't remember anymore. They were all amazed. It was that Sunday. They were all amazed. He, because he, and so because they were amazed, whatever Jesus said, they just went with that. That's why they flocked and followed Jesus so much. And they didn't care because what the religious system wasn't working for them, they were, they were ready for Jesus to be the Messiah and take over everything. 
Uh, that's why they would say they were amazed because he had one, he had authority. And because he had authority and they didn't. So they went with Jesus. So that's what they they tried to use that against Jesus. But how can you argue to everyday people? Listen, this guy's this it's like I, t- I told you last week when I used the example out of John chapter 9 that he is of the, you know he is he is not from God. A prophet of God would never you know disobey the Sabbath. And the guy said, Well, how can he not be from God? He has the power to heal, and only God can heal. So what the Pharisees said made no sense to the people because they could see this guy. I mean, they're, they're, they're common. They're not dumb. They could see this guy could heal. He could raise the dead back to life. He could feed them. He had compassion and love for them, and they had none. So, yeah, they tried, but it didn't work. What else?